Well, I want you to open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 17, and I'm going to read, beginning with verse 11, if I can find it. This Bible, as I mentioned, has, I don't know why, but they hide the verse numbers. It's so small and tiny. Somebody tell, oh yeah, here it is. I was going to ask somebody to read for me so I could recognize. Yeah, here it is, verse 11. Jesus in his prayer to the Father says, And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one who was supposed to be, destined to be lost, who was never really a part, so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Had lunch with some friends yesterday. Had on a brand new tie. I sat down when the food came, I took off my coat because I didn't want to get anything on it. Should have taken off my tie. Should have taken off my shirt. <laughs> oh, now I've got a big spot of spaghetti stuff on that tie. That happens to me all the time. That happens to me all I cannot contact food without being contaminated by it. This afternoon, I got to feeling like I needed to test my legs and hadn't eaten anything, so I walked across the street to Wendy's to get a Frosty. Got dressed, put on my jeans, put on a clean T-shirt, went across the street, got that Frosty, got back in my room, looked in the mirror, and there's Frosty all over my clean T-shirt. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I just don't know how that happened. When Kay and I fly together, when they bring something to drink or to eat, she shrinks as far as she can over to this other side because, I mean, before it's over, I am going to spill something. And she'll get one of those airline blankets, you know, and put it over herself on this side because she knows I'm going to, and if there's an empty seat across the aisle, she'll get over there. I, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I just can't, I just can't eat without getting it all over me, you know. Uh, I don't know why that is. One time, I was so proud of myself. I was on an airplane, 
and always spill my Coke somehow or another, and sometimes even on the fellow sitting next to me. I'm American Gold now, so they try to block out the seat next to me, I think because they've learned that I, you know, am that way. But I was so proud one time because I had eaten a meal and had my drink and hadn't spilled a thing on me. And the flight attendant came along, picked up the tray, and spilled food on me. I think she just looked at me and said, he ought to have some food on him, just dumped it on him. I've been hoping that I'd learn to eat without, you know, all that. But now I'm getting to the age where drooling's going to become natural. My problem is I can't make contact without being contaminated. Unfortunately, I have a spiritual problem like that, too. Too many times when I make contact with the world, I become contaminated. And basically, that is what Jesus is praying for here. When he asked the Father to preserve us, basically what he's asking is, Father, they're in the world, going to be there by themselves, going to be surrounded by that world. I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but they're going to be in the world, and I'm praying that you will protect them. Now, you know. He means something more than just what we would normally say is protect them. Because all of them, except John, died a martyr's death. What kind of protection is that? What kind of preservation is that? Now, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, Father, they're in the world, but Father... Keep them in such a way, protect them in such a way, watch over them in such a way that they can make contact with the world without becoming contaminated with the world. And that's his prayer for us. And that is one of the greatest struggles that you and I have in everyday living is that as we make contact with the world, as we must, God protect us from being contaminated by it. And so Jesus prays, and he says, Father, I want you to protect them, preserve them in the name which you have given me, in the name, the sphere in which our protection is. It's like a baby being wrapped in a blanket and cared for in your name. Wrap them in your name and care for them. You know, I think fathers are more careful about holding babies than mothers are. I was always scared dead to hold my babies. My wife, I mean, you know, I've seen women do this, mothers do that. I mean, they'll sling them up and hang them on their hip, you know, and wash dishes and vacuum the floor and everything. Now they got knapsacks where you can just drop them in there and forget about them, but... Oh, I was going to hold them. Man, I was just so careful. I, 
Oh, don't let the head go back and don't do this and don't do this. And I, boy, he'd put it in my arm. I'd wrap it up with that blanket and everything. I was afraid that I might hurt it some way. If I'd known then what I'd known then, I wouldn't have worried. <laughs> but that's the idea that Jesus is getting at when he says, keep them in thy name. The name of the Father is the sphere in which we are kept as though we're wrapped up in that precious name. Now, uh, let me just give you some reasons why. Why do you and I need the Lord's, the Father's protection? Why is it that the Lord Jesus in this great intercessory prayer, as He prays for us, when He comes to pray for us, the first thing He prays for is, Lord, preserve them. And I, I've jotted down three reasons. First of all, we need to be protected by the Father and wrapped in His name because of the absence of Jesus. This is why Jesus is praying. He says, Holy Father, protect them in Your name. And He said, while I was with them, I protected them and guarded over them. But now, He said, I am coming to You. And, and uh, He said, I, 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 I'm leaving this world. And uh, I'm leaving them here. And so, Lord, I'm not going to be here to protect them as I have. It's interesting the words that Jesus uses in verse 12. He said, while I was with them, I protected them. The idea is the same as the other one uh, of the Father protecting to watch over and, and to, to preserve and to keep. But then he says, and he uses a different word, and he says, uh, I guarded them. I guarded them. Protect is in the tense, the idea that I did this continuously, moment after moment, time after time, I protected them. But he said, I also guarded them. And he uses that in a tense that means there were specific times when I guarded them. It's the same word that is used in Philippians 4, 7 when he says that the peace of Christ shall guard us. It's a military word. It means soldiers standing around in a line forming a, 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 a line of guardians or rather to build a garrison around something. And Jesus said there have been those moments when I, I've had to specifically guard them and I uh, perhaps he He's referring to when Peter was going to deny his Lord. And you remember before he ever denied his Lord, Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You say, well, his faith did fail. No, his love failed, his courage failed, but his faith did not fail. Why? Because Jesus had prayed, I pray that your faith may not fail, utterly and finally and completely fail. And so while Jesus was here on earth, he observed us and watched us and, and uh, preserved us. And there were those specific moments when we were in trouble as Peter was, and, and he prayed specifically that we would be guarded and that our faith would not finally and utterly fail. It might weaken and sag a little bit, but it would not fail. But now he's leaving. And these disciples will no longer have him. I mentioned the other night that in John 14, he says when he's leaving them, he said, I will not leave you as helpless orphans. And I, I figure that he must have seen the expression on the face of those disciples. You know, every time they, Jesus talked about the cross, they tried to change the subject. They didn't want to hear about his going. 
I have an idea they felt I've made, we've made such a mess of things while we've had him with us. Who knows what we're going to do when he's gone from us. I remember when my dad was dying and we brought him home from the hospital and put him in hospice care at our house. And my brother just lived a few hundred feet down the hill and so he spent most of the time with my dad. He would stay over there, sleep over and, and get up during the night and and take care of him and everything, but uh, I, I would try to relieve him when I didn't have a meeting. And I remember, I remember the first time I did that. I I drove in from uh, I think Houston, drove all night and got there, and uh, and then uh, so we visited around and, and evening time we visited around and uh, Barry said, "Well, Dad, I'm leaving now. I'm going home. I'm I'm going to my house, and Ronnie's going to stay here with you, and he's going to take care of you for this week." And my dad's eyes began to bulge. And he said, what? Mary said, it's going to be all right. Uh, Dad said, where are you going? Where are you going? He said, well, Dad, I'm going home. I'm going to stay at my house this week. And, and, and Ron's going to be here to, to watch over you. And he said, he, he just like, like he was saying, you can't do this to me. You can't leave me in his hands. And all night long, he'd keep saying, where's Barry? Where's Barry? Where's Barry? You know, just scared to death because I was the one taking care of him. And I sort of get the feeling that the disciples felt that way. Like, don't leave us. Don't leave us. What's going to happen to us? So Jesus said, because I'm going to be absent from them, I'm not going to be here to watch over them. I did while I was here and I protected them. But now I'm leaving, and so, Father, I want you now to take up that responsibility. And I want you to wrap them in your name and keep them and protect them. I think one reason that we need the protections, Father, is because of the absence of Jesus. I'm talking about the earthly, physical absence of the Lord, of course. He is with us. But Jesus was speaking here for these immediate disciples. And as I mentioned last night, uh, verse 20, he says, I pray the same thing for those that will believe. Well, there's a second reason that Jesus prays for our protection, and it's because of the antagonism of the world, because of the hostility of the world. He said, I have given them, in verse 14, your word, and the word, the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world. Now, Lord Jesus doesn't mince around. And he's saying this in the sound of the disciples' ear. And he says, Father, I want you to watch over them because I've given them your word and the world has hated them. The world hates believers. Don't ever forget that. I don't care how nice the world starts acting towards religion. I don't care how many politicians in their speeches by saying, God bless you. I don't care how many comedians in their routines by saying, God bless you. Folks, listen, you and I need to understand something. The world hates us. And if you're trying to bring yourself to a place where the world won't hate you, then somehow you're missing what you're supposed to be as far as the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned. The world hates us, and there are two reasons. Number one, because we have been given the Word, he says. I've given them your Word. Well, why should the world hate us because of that? Because the world hates the Word. The world hates the Word. The world hates the Word of God. 
Now, they don't hate the Bible, the Holy Bible. And, uh, you know, they quote things from it and read from it. But I'm talking about the Word, the Gospel. You know, I think one of the things that is so wrong with our preaching today is that uh, we make the evangelistic appeal for the wrong reason. And I know much has been said about this by Alistair and OS this week, and uh, I, I don't need to say much about it, but, uh, I, you know, the Bible is not seeker-friendly. The truth of the matter is it just isn't. And it's going to make the world angry. And today, if you'll notice, so much of our evangelistic appeal is based upon man's self-gratification. Come to Christ and you'll be happy. I remember witnessing to a man years ago, and I, I, I told him, I said, listen, if you'll just give your heart to Christ, you'll be happy. He said, I'm already happy. I said, no, you're not. You just think you are. <laughs> well, you know, when you get down to it, thinking you're happy is just as good as being happy. But, you know, we, we make this appeal. If you'll come to Christ, I tell you what, let's hear these testimonies of these businessmen who when they came to Christ, how God blessed their business. And God will make you a better father and make you a better husband. And uh, your self-esteem will be restored to you. And there'll be peace and, and happiness and success in your life. The Bible never uses those motives in its evangelistic appeal. It always says you come to Jesus Christ because you have sinned against a holy and righteous God and His wrath is coming upon you and you had better flee the wrath that is coming. And the only place to flee is in Jesus Christ. And the world hates that. The world hates it. They don't mind you being religious. They don't mind you talking about God. Have you ever noticed that? They don't mind you talking about God. Everybody talks about God. I'm always suspicious when I'm around people who never talk about Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? People talk about God, but don't talk about Jesus. See, Jesus makes them mad. Jesus makes them angry. Why? Because Jesus defines who God is. See, as long as they can talk about God without talking about Jesus, their God can be made in their own image, and He can be anything He wants them to be. But when you mention Jesus, He suddenly defines God, who God really is, and they don't like Jesus for that. That's why they crucified Him. And we've been given His Word, and I tell you, if we preach faithfully and live faithfully the Word of God, the world's going to hate us too. The world's going to hate us too. The second reason is because he says we don't belong to the world. Now, that's interesting. We don't belong to the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. He uses really the same Greek construction. He says they, uh, they uh, are not out of the world, just as I was not out of the world. In other words, their origin did not come from the world. They're different. They're different. They, they don't fit in with this world. They, 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 they don't fit in with this world. They're different. And the world hates them because 
they are not one of us because we don't go along with their ethics and their value system. Of course, everybody's talking about values today because that's relative. Nobody talks about virtues because that's absolute. You hear them talk about family values. Listen, I talked to a homosexual couple who were high on family values. They didn't say a word about family virtues. You watch it and you'll see nobody talks about value, virtues anymore. It's all values. Why? Because values are relative. Virtues are absolute. And so here I am insisting on virtues. And the world is insisting on values. Here I am insisting on absolute. And they're insisting on relativity. All things are relative. All things are relative. I came up behind a car the other day or a few weeks ago and it had a bumper sticker on it that said, if it feels good, do it. I came up right behind it at a stoplight. I read that. I thought to myself, you know, it would feel real good just to run into him. I wonder what the legal ramifications of that would be. You know, I could say he told me if it feels good to do it. Right there it is on his car. And it felt good. I'm going to do it again. It felt so good. But that's the philosophy of the world. If it feels good, do it. Whatever's right to you. This Bible becomes the Word of God only when it relates to you, you see. If it seems truth to you, then it is truth. But if it doesn't seem true to somebody else, then, then it's not. But don't be so dogmatic. Don't be so narrow-minded, you see. Well, why don't you sort of be like us? I mean, you know, if you want to get along, you need to go along. Why don't you be like us? Can't do that. I just really can't do that. I'm sorely tempted because I really would like to be accepted by the crowd. But I really can't do that. I have to betray my Lord if I lowered my standards. I really can't do that. So they hate you. Why? Because you are a reminder of their own sin. Now friends, what is interesting here, that's why Jesus left us in the world. You know, he said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. They don't belong to it. They don't belong in it. This world is not their home. But I'm asking you to leave them in it. Why? Why? Why doesn't God just, when he saves us, immediately takes us on to glory? Why does he leave us in the world? He leaves us in the world specifically because we don't belong to the world. Because, you see, what attracts people is that which is different. That which is different. Now, there is this philosophy going around today that says if you're going to win the world, you need to be like the world. There was a church, it seemed like it was in Ohio, but I'm not sure it's up north, one of those northern states. And this fellow was going to start a church. And before he started church, he took a poll of that community. He asked them one question. Why don't you go to church? 
Well, they got a variety of answers, of course. Some people say, I don't like to go to church. Sunday's my only day off. I don't like to go to church because, well, I don't like all that organ music. And, uh, that, that, you know, a lot of people, and I, I know of churches today, OS, that have given up their organ because they say the world doesn't like organ music. That, that, that's why when I was watching the NBA finals, everybody got up and left when the organ started playing. Did you notice that? <laughs> That's why every year uh, at uh, uh, Myerson uh, Doodad down in Dallas, when they have this big organ recital, the place is packed out. All of them are Christians, I'm sure. <laughs> and they say, well, we don't like organ music. And we don't like, you don't like talking about money. PJ always talk about money. And you know what this fellow did? He took those things and built his church around what they didn't like. Now, folks, that is stupid. I want to tell I'll tell you why that old boy doesn't come to church. It's not because Sunday's his only day off. It's not because of the organ music. It's not because of the preacher. It's not because of the money. It's because he's lost. And it's in sin. How, you know, he could say, well, I'd come to church, but you talk about money. Listen, that fellow may be living with his secretary in sin. That's why he's not coming. How foolish, how foolish of us to let the world set the standard for our church. That's just foolish. But... Oh, we're just under this. I, I don't need to say any more about this. So much has been said about it. But I tell you, I run into this everywhere I go. I just run into this. I was in one of these seeker-friendly churches, and the pastor was trying to explain to me how it goes. And he said, hey, now, he said now, we never say anything that will make anybody uncomfortable. <laughs> I said, well, does that mean then that you never preach against sin? He just kind of gave me, a, gave me a silly grin and didn't answer. Now, this, this fellow may have good reasons for removing all semblances of the cross because it's uh, embarrassing and uh, uncomfortable to the world. Hang the world. I don't care. I, I, I'd rather offend the world than to offend God by taking down the cross. Amen. And we're so foolish as to believe that the more we become like the world, the more the world's going to like us. Not so, friend. Oh, you say, but we've got, we've got more people coming than ever before. Sure, that does, but I, that doesn't mean anything. The Moonies have got more people in a meeting tonight than we have. The Mormons are all over the country and growing rapidly. Does that mean they're right? No, it doesn't mean they're right. I don't know, but when I read the Bible, he doesn't say, wide is the gate and broad is the way and many find it. He said, narrow is the gate and few there be. Paul said, I am all things to all men, that I may win some. 
I always lose confidence in a fellow. And OS, it seems like everybody who is, in, who, who, who is elected president of our convention, caught you dozing there, didn't I? It seems like everybody... <laughs> Everybody, you know, who's elected president of Virginia, not everybody, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but they'll write a book on winning the world. And I know it immediately, they, they, they don't mean it. You're not going to win the world, friend. Now, we can evangelize the world, but we're not going to win the world. Why? Because the world hated us. I'm going to tell you something that hated Jesus first and God's not going to do more for you than he did for his own son. So, there's the absence of Jesus. There's the antagonism of the world. But thirdly, there is the advancement of the gospel. That's why he prays for them. He says, I have given them the word. I've given them the word. Them and them only. These disciples of mine, they're the only ones that have the word. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, they don't have the word. The only ones that got the word are those you've given me. And therefore, I tell you what, if that word's going to be spread, you'd better watch over them. You'd better preserve them. You'd better preserve them. That's what uh, Alistair was talking about when in Timothy, when Timothy's, uh, Paul said to Timothy, the things that I have given you, the things I have taught you, you pass on to faithful men who will also pass it on to others. You see, you, 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 you've got to pray that people will be faithful and true. Why? Because they're the only ones that have the Word. And if they're not preserved... You know, it's always amazed me that Jesus placed placed the future of redemption in the hands of people like us. And uh, we have the Word, and we're to take it. We're to take it. That's why he prays that we might be one. That's why he prays that we might be sanctified. That's why he prays that we may be filled with joy. You see, because I want to tell you something. The world will not be won by a divided church. So he prays that we might be one, even as you and I, Father, are one. Whew. I mean, now you talk about a standard. You talk about a standard. How one are we to be? How unified are we to be? Well, there ought to be the same unity in us, between us, that there is between the Father and the Son. Now, uh, uh, unity is not union. I mean, you can have union without unity. I mean, you take two tomcats and tie their tails together, throw them over a clothesline, you've got union, but you don't have unity. Doesn't mean everybody has to be Presbyterians, everybody has to be Baptist, or we all have to have the same view on election or whatever, or on baptism or anything like that. He's not talking about that, but he's saying we ought all to have the same goal, the same mind. Well, however way you want to go about it, all we're interested in is glorifying Jesus and seeing that men and women are brought to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the unity of which he's speaking. 
And he says, I want them to have joy. That my joy may be complete. It's a, a tense of that word is great. It means full and overflowing. Why? Because the world's not ever going to be won by joyless people. And he says, I want you to sanctify them. Now, in a sense, they're already sanctified, just as all of us are. The moment a person is born again, comes to Christ, he is a saint. You don't have to wait until you die and be canonized by the Pope in order to be a saint. You are a saint already just by virtue of your salvation. I mean, the Corinthians were the lousiest bunch of folks that ever named the name of Christ, but Paul called them saints. I'm Saint Ron. <laughs> Saint Jamal. And uh, wants us to be holy. You see, there is a distinction between us and the church, and woe betide the church when that distinction is blurred. You say, but preacher, don't we have to, I mean, times are changing. Don't we have to make accommodations? You know, I mean, times are changing. You, 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 can't, you can't use the same methods. Right, I understand that. I understand that. I think adjustments have to be made as we go along. I, I realize that. Uh, the other night, we went over to Jamil and Carolyn's home. They've got a beautiful new home. And you know what struck me the most when I entered it? Was their living area was so wide open. I like a lot of that, you know. Living area, so wide open. And I commented on it. And Jamil said the original plan called for a bedroom there. And there would be a hall down the way. And that way there was much, much less sitting area, living area. And since they had a fully furnished basement with two bedrooms down there, he said, we told the contractor just to knock out that wall and do away with that bedroom and let it all be living space. And the contractor thought that was so great, he's going to make that one of his plans. Now let me tell you what Jamil did. They loved to entertain. They do. They love to entertain, have people over. Jamil fancies himself a cook. <laughs> they love to have people over. But you see, the way it was, they couldn't accommodate a lot of people. But they made some adjustments, struck down a wall where they could accommodate more people. But they didn't stretch the house off its foundation. And I tell you, in the church, we can make all the adjustments we need to make to reach every new generation, but don't ever, ever move it off the foundation. You see, you push the walls as far as you want to, but you stop at the foundation. And that's the same way it is in us and in our efforts to bring men to Christ. We must accommodate some things, but friend, don't ever move to where you're pulling away from the foundation. 
So he says, make them holy. Because the world will not believe or pay attention to or take seriously. Worldly people, worldly Christians. I mean, let's just face it. Uh, <laughs> if you're no different from me, why, why should I listen to you? If you respond to tragedy just like everybody else, why, why should I want to come over to your side? If you have prejudices just like everybody else, why, why should I come join you? If you get angry and make in, uh, those uh, indecent gestures to people when they pull out in front of you, lose your temper and hit the horn, cuss them out, that's what I do. Why are you telling me that I need to come to Christ? He'll make me different. See, Jesus left us in the world because we're different. And that's what makes us and makes Jesus attractive. The Bible says the common people heard him gladly. They came to him. I had a dear friend, Dr. J.P. Macbeth, who's in glory now. He was my mentor. I learned more about preaching and studying the Bible from that man than any other person. I want to tell you something. He was the most unique man I'd ever met. And I don't care if he preached on John 3.16. He was always surprised at how he did it. He was the most unpredictable preacher. Everything, every sermon he preached, even on things like well-worn text, I mean, he would come at it in a way that was so different. I asked him one day, I said, Dr. Macbeth, how come your sermons are so different? Not one given to hiding his light. He said, because my sermons are closer to the truth. <laughs> and he said, the closer to the truth, the more different you are. He said, that's why Christians are different, because they have the truth. The Ron Dunn Podcast is available only for personal edification, not to be duplicated, uploaded to the web, or resold without prior written consent. It is managed and operated by Sherwood Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to additional Ron Dunn messages, visit SherwoodBaptist.net slash bookstore and search Ron Dunn. For more Ron Dunn materials, including sermon outlines, devotions, and scanned pages from a study Bible, please visit rondunn.com.